In your copy of God's Holy Word to 1 Corinthians 11, as well as 1 Timothy 3. Um, as, we, as you turn there, and we'll consider both those texts in the reading before the sermon. Um, we're continuing our series on the Christian family, as you might be aware, and we are in this sub-series on marriage. Uh, this series is becoming perhaps more applicatory and less doctrinal as it goes forward. That's by design. We're looking at duties that husbands and wives owe to one another under Christ. And so we're going to see more practical applications. But in the back of our minds, we remember Ephesians 5 always, that the love of Christ for his bride is at the forefront of all that we are doing, that the gospel itself is pictured in our marriages. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, let us consider the first three verses before we turn to 1 Timothy 3. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And here especially, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. 3, and I'll read from verse 1 down to verse 5. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, especially here, verses 4 and 5. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Amen. Let's ask the Lord for a blessing on the preaching. Father in heaven, help us, O God, as we come to the preached word. Help your minister, first and foremost, preach faithfully, that he would preach the word of Christ in a manner that can apply the word to our time and place. This timeless word, Father, uh, help us to apply it into our context now. We know its principles are everlasting, but help us as those here in this particular time and place that is plagued with so much uh, folly and disorder in terms of what the world around us is teaching about husbands and wives. Help your minister preach faithfully according to the will of God. And may all the hearts here be um, be humbled before God, from the minister down to the youngest child, that we would hear the word of God as it is preached and receive it as the very word of God, testing it against the scripture to see if these things are so. And so, Father, we pray for the glory of Christ, our bridegroom, that you would open our eyes that we would behold wondrous things out of thy law. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, you probably know that President Harry Truman had a sign on his desk that said what? The buck stops here. What did he mean by that? Or what did he intend to mean by that? That as the nation's leader, his, the chief executive, right, that he is ultimately responsible and that he must not pass on responsibility and blame others. 
the buck stops here. He's not to say, well, you know, the, the, the condition of the nation, it's because of those Republicans, or it's because of Congress, or it's because of the courts. That's why those things are bad. No, he resolved to do what leaders ought to resolve to do, which is to take total responsibility for that which is entrusted to them. And husbands, as leaders of the home, are called to such responsibility. Yet the challenge for men is that in our fallen nature, right, we are prone to irresponsibility. And we need God's help in this. You go back to our first parents. Consider Adam in the garden. When God confronted him with his sin, what did he do? He passed the buck, didn't he? He told God the fault was in who? The woman uh, that thou gave us to be with me. Right? He's like, well, it's not really my fault. It's hers. He refused to take full responsibility for his actions, passing the buck to his wife. Now, ladies, uh, lest you, you feel like this is something that you can assert over the man, Eve was really not much better, was she? What did she say? The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Right? Both tried to pass on the blame to another. Right? That's in our fallen nature. And so as we consider marriage and leadership in the home, we must know where the buck stops in the home. And the question we must answer is, is it with the husband or is it with the wife? It's with the husband. It's the husband's responsibility before God to lead his wife and his children in godliness. And the husband is ultimately responsible to Jesus Christ, as you heard in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. And men, I think because the pendulum often shifts and swings in crazy and wild ways, you know, in combating egalitarianism, there is a kind of sort of hyper-patriarchy, right, that has come and arisen. And what we need to do is we need to understand that true biblical patriarchy, which simply means rule by men, uh, is better defined by responsibility and less so privilege, right? Biblical Headship is better defined by responsibility and not privilege, which is where so many in the church go wrong. It must be seen as more of a responsibility before God than a privilege, like I get to be the man of the house. I was thinking on this. Men used to feel the burden of being a man. Men used to really feel that burden, knowing that they were responsible for the well-being of all the lives under their roof would fill them with a great burden. It is a burden. It's not easy. It constantly requires the seeking of the Lord and the seeking of his grace and his will in the scripture. But as far as Christ is concerned, men, the buck stops with you and you are responsible before God. And this is an area of Christ-likeness for you to cultivate. You think about it, what is our gospel hope? That Jesus actually takes full responsibility for us, right? That he who knew no sin became sin for us. Now, obviously, a husband in no way is a sin bearer, but the same kind of principle applies, which is I am responsible before God to give an account for my wife and children, just as the Bible says that elders will be called to give an account for every soul under their charge, which is a weighty thing as well. And see, this is where in the Bible, leadership is better defined by responsibility and not privilege. Like I get to be a pastor and so now I get to assert myself. No, 
It's a weighty thing to be an elder in the church. And it's actually a weighty thing to be a husband as well. Tonight, then, we consider our final installment of the husband's duty in marriage. We've had two sermons before this. And we heard first of the husband's Christ-like love, that all of his duties flow out of love for his wife. So his is a headship of love like Christ's is of us. And then second, last week, we considered his need to provide for his wife all things she need in soul and body, even as Jesus uh, provides for his church. And so now I think in view of those sermons, we can learn what it is for a husband to lead his wife. And our theme then will be the husband as Christ-like leader, the husband as Christ-like leader. And we'll consider this theme under three heads. First is the doctrine, which is that it is a leading and not a lording. Second is to see leading in action, counseling and considering. And third, leading in action, commending and correcting. So first, some of the doctrine of male headship or any leadership, really, you can apply this to the fifth commandment as a whole, which is leading and not lording. And let's first establish the divine truth, one that is indisputable in the scripture and yet is not popular anymore because of society, which is that husbands are the heads of their wives and their children, and all those under their home, really. Um, we've heard the scripture from 1 Corinthians 11.3. Let me impress it upon you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, this is interesting, right? The scripture, the Holy Ghost is saying, I would have you know. In other words, this is something we need to know. We must know and not forget that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is is the man. Now, speaking in, in marital relationships, obviously, the head of every woman is not every man. But in the marriage relationship, the wife's head is the husband's. And so, in contrast to egalitarianism, the Bible teaches male headship. And boys and girls, the word head here in the Greek language means leader. And that's why that's our theme, leading. When it comes to husband and wife, the husband has, and how we hate this even in our workplace, right, These, this kind of language, or even in the nation, the husband has superior rank in a marriage. Now, in terms, and I covered this before when we talked about marriage, the theology of it, in terms of being and worth to Christ, he is not superior to her in that. He is her equal. But when two are made one, and you just think about this, logically speaking, and God is wise, one has to take on the role of leader. You can't have two leaders in the home. That just becomes anarchy. There must be a leader of the home. And God's design, and you have to see this this way, this is pre-fall. God's design was that Adam would be the head of his wife Eve. It's not a part of the sinful fallen condition that makes man the head of the wife. The man leads from the creation but I also wouldn't have you forget, God wouldn't have you forget rather, that by God's design, the wife is the husband's closest and dearest companion. So you have to put these truths together. This is the closest relationship, in other words, between superior and inferior there ever can be. Right? So that in, uh, in, in, in the home, uh, they're almost indistinguishable, but there is still a distinguishing of the rank. They are one flesh, right? Almost one person. But I'll come to this later. This is a relationship, if you think of um, maybe in history, 
or even in in recent history, perhaps. This is a relationship that's more akin to a king and a queen and not a king and a servant, right? This is more the model. Uh, A king and a queen, right? The king ultimately has rank, but the queen also has authority in the home with the children and so on. And the two of them are very close in rank, though the king outranks the queen, Like, woe to the the servant, right, of the king who goes against his queen, right? This is how close they are in rank. And so the man has a real authority in the home over the wife, but it's exercised in faith and love. We've seen that in prior sermons. But also you should note in 1 Corinthians 11.3 that if the man is the head of the woman, who is the head of the man? Christ. Christ is the head of the man, right? In other words, then, and... um, I remember the first time it was put this way to me, especially I think before I became a ruling elder and I was listening to a lot of sermons on authority that I would not abuse authority in the church. Um, A man preached a sermon and he said, all those who want to be in authority must be under authority. And that's God's design, right? All men in authority need accountability and they need submission themselves, right? Husbands must submit. And husbands are called to be in submission to Christ as his own head. He must be a man who considers the Lord's authority and headship over himself. In matters of his faith, in his temperament even before God, in his conduct, in his speech, in his obedience, even in his repentance. Husbands are to submit to Christ. And if you do that, husband, you can anticipate blessings on your headship. If you are a humble man before God, constantly humbled before the Lord, you can anticipate him blessing your headship. But if you are a a proud and and stiff-necked man, don't expect things to go well. In fact, I'll cover this in just a bit. Expect the Lord to give you a wife of that kind that reflects the kind of man you are to Christ. That's a sanctifying spiritual exercise, husbands and um, I won't say I've had to exercise it myself, but if you are frustrated with your wife's lack of submission, which is not to excuse her, he might be using her to show you there are areas where you are not submitting to the Lord. And you need to reflect on that. Do not be surprised if there are difficulties in the marriage if you are not a man submitting to Christ. I'm not saying that difficulties in your marriage are the result of disobedience, but surely we must check our hearts If that is so, if we are frustrated with our wife, you ask the simple question, oh, my soul, am I submitting to Christ as I expect my wife to submit to me? Now, that's not to excuse a petulant wife. And I'll remind you, and we'll cover this next week, women, the calling of the wife is to submit to your own husband. Ephesians 5.24, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Whatever he asks, that's not against the word of God, you are to submit to uh, cheerfully and in love. I'll speak more on that next week, though. I'll just put that there. Okay, but I also want to say that the submission to Christ of the husband is concrete and not ethereal. It's concrete and not ethereal. You know, Christ rules over men. We considered Psalm 110 last week. He rules over all men in two ways. First, as the head of the church, and second as the head of the commonwealth or the state, right? Um, And a husband must put himself under Christ in these two spheres of Jesus' authority. 
He comes under the sanction of the sword by the magistrate for crimes against his wife. He also comes under the sanction of censures under the ministry for sins against his wife, grievous sins, right? That's how he has an earthly accountability for the physical and spiritual well-being of his wife. You see, Christ hasn't left the woman all to herself under a tyrant. He is to, and, and, and um, I'll get to this in just a bit, young ladies, as you think on the kind of man you ought to marry. But let me say this. There's no absolute authority on the earth outside of God. No man is an authority unto himself. You know, I don't have all authority in this church. We have a plurality of elders, and we're under the auspices of a presbytery who sees what's happening here. But let me come back to that thought then to the young ladies, single ladies and young women. Besides marrying an unbeliever, which is the worst possible thing you could do, the worst decision outside of that is to marry a man who refuses to be accountable to Jesus Christ in church or state. All of us need to be in submission, not just the women, for our well-being and for Christ's glory. Um, As I've said, even elders need accountability under church government. And in the home, the husband as head must submit to Christ under other authorities placed in state and church. Now, as we consider that and put that there for a moment, the quality of leadership as we come back to leadership in the Bible, first we had seen that it is a position of responsibility. Second, it is also couched in the position of being a help and blessing to the subordinate party. This is biblical leadership. It's about being a help to your subordinate, right? Consider how Paul speaks of his authority as an apostle. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. For by faith ye stand. 2 Corinthians 1.24 We've been reading, we just started Ezekiel in our Old Testament readings, haven't we? But do you remember what the difference is between the good shepherd and the evil shepherds of Israel? The evil shepherds fleece the flock. They were in it for their own gain. Whereas the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, lays down his life for his sheep. Right? And as marriage is an analog to Christ's, the good shepherd, love for the church, what should that tell us who are husbands? We are in it for the joy of our wives and the help of them. This is the mindset of biblical headship, not dominion over the wife as a tyrant, She stands before Christ on her own faith, but we are to be helpers of their joy. What did Peter tell elders? Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Not lords over them, but you are to be, men, an example to follow for your family. And that's a deeply convicting thing. Uh, They must see something of Christ in me as I follow Christ, right? What did the apostle say? Follow me as I follow Christ. Every husband ought to be able to say that with sincerity, though he is not perfect, to say to his wife, oh, how that convicts us in leadership, doesn't it? Even to ministers and elders, it's a challenging thing that we are called to say to our flock, follow me as I follow Christ. And Peter next reminds those in submission, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For though uh, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And so for those of us in a, a position of submission, right, we are not to be proud, but we receive grace when we are humble. And so wives, next week when we get to your duties before God, 
you are not to be proud and contentious against your husbands. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Now, you might say, Pastor, all these texts, they deal with elders. Right? Why are you applying them to husbands? And the reason is, beyond just the general scope of the fifth commandment, is that the Bible makes a straight line between elders and husbands. That where do elders learn the lessons necessary to rule well in the church? It's in the home, isn't it? Um, that's why we read 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. One that ruleth well his own house, there's that, rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And here it is. If a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? What is the implied duty here? That every Christian man ought to rule his own house well. Otherwise, they're disqualified for the eldership, of course. And so God expects elders to learn the principles of leadership in their own home. You know, man, and I hope you do this when you look for elders, right? You look at a man, you look at how he rules his wife and children, and you say, there is no way, right, when a man can't do that, that he should rule over me in the church. A man that domineers his wife and children shouldn't be an elder either, right? Because what's going to happen to the people in the congregation if he domineers his wife and children? Well, I guess I'll be next, isn't it? And so husbands are not to be tyrants, but are to lead with godly patience and understanding. And let me just put it this way as we think on biblical manhood. It's really the weak and insecure man that quickly snaps and commands as a tyrant. All Christians have the duty to be slow to take offense, but leaders have a greater duty. Okay? Think of the President of the United States of America, right? When he has access to weapons that can destroy and obliterate the entire world, we often ask the question, does the man have the temperament when a candidate comes to be the president, right? With that kind of power and authority, we want a man who has a, a temperament that is more biblical. And so you think on our Lord, men, how patiently, right? When you look at the scriptures and you look at his disciples who are under him, you sometimes marvel at how patient he is with them, right? He could snap at them justly so, left and right and left and right. But he patiently bears with us. And how about you and me? How patiently he has borne with our sin and our folly. Even in the exercise of the apostles' authority, think of what Paul said, Philemon 8 and 9, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin or command thee that which is convenient or proper, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee. See, he had the authority and he had the ability, just like husbands do, to command the wife. But he said, for love's sake, I would rather beseech thee. That's a key principle in any authority, right? Home or otherwise. First we beseech. And then when we can no longer and it's not being heeded and we have to, we must, that's when we say, well, I guess you're just going to have to do this, right? But we first start with beseeching. And you think of the gospel itself. In 2 Corinthians 5, we read as though God himself is beseeching you through us. That ought to be the first place a leader goes, is beseeching. 
I can't actually remember, and maybe my wife will correct me later on today, I actually can't remember the last time I told her, you will just have to do this, right? Now, I can. I have that authority under God, and I must say at certain times, regardless of your feeling on the matter, it is my God-given role that we go in this direction because I do believe that this is the best way to go. But in a godly marriage, men, these times ought to be rare, and they should be for very weighty matters. You know, a man who's always pulling rank, just do what I say, I'm the man of the house. That is lazy, and it actually violates the lordship principle, doesn't it? that you are not to lord it over them. Uh, imagine this, and maybe this will be a help to you, because sometimes we need to see how, um, you know, what, what the Lord say, um, love your neighbor uh, as yourself. Imagine if this is how your elders interacted with you. Just do this. Stop doing that. Why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Right? Would you enjoy that very much? I don't think so. And so as husbands, we need to understand that just as we don't want the authorities over us to constantly be berating us, right, we rather, for love's sake, should rather beseech our wives. I'll bring to mind something Peter said a few sermons ago. Dwell with her with understanding as the weaker vessel. Right? She is the weaker vessel. And I think what Peter is saying is that unlike the pagans who would have probably said, you know, she's the weaker vessel, so have your way with her. Do what you will. She cannot fight back. She is weaker. Just domineer her. Peter says, no. She's the weaker vessel, not for your domineering, but for your patience and understanding. They are the weaker vessel men, right? They are. And, and maybe this is the problem with egalitarianism and, and women, you are the weaker vessel. And because, uh, you know, you just think about even basic things, right? In the old days, no matter if it was your wife or not, you would open the door for the lady because you understood that she is the weaker vessel. And all those things are being erased and, and women are now fighting in wars. Uh, they're the weaker vessel, though. And men aren't caring for them. And because maybe we've forgotten that and what we see on television and in popular society is women have to stand toe-to-toe with men. Maybe in our own lives, men, we are seeing women in that way, but we need to see them as the weaker vessel. But ladies, I'll just say that he does have authority over the home. I remembered uh, Abraham, right? Um, Remember in Genesis uh, 18, he tells Sarah when the Lord comes, go and make some cakes, right? She doesn't backbite. She doesn't, she doesn't say anything. She just cheerfully and obediently goes and does it. Cheerfully, gladly. That's what the husband and wife relationship is like. The, the man wants to serve the Lord and he asks her to do something and she does it. And that's the way it ought to be. Well, anyways, husbands, the other part of this leadership is that you are called to be the manager and overseer of the whole household. 1 Timothy 3 says you are to rule the home as its overseer. You are responsible for the home. The buck stops with you, and you must oversee its affairs. And husbands, you can't outsource that. Think of how Joshua saw himself, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? He is the manager. He is the overseer of the home. He sets the course and the direction of his whole household as its head. But you also see in Joshua how a man, while gentle and compassionate, is called to be firm in his resolve, right? He's not a wallflower. He doesn't bend. 
Yes, he beseeches. Yes, he, he is firm, though, isn't he? He's firm in his resolve. We will serve the Lord. Such things he doesn't take under advisement because really there is no other way to go except in the word of God. We will serve the Lord, not negotiable. Just like you want elders who are firm in conviction, but yet patient in leading. Right? These two things go together, not swayed from the truth of God. Well, that said, husbands, you are the managers over the home, and you can think of so many areas that God calls you responsible. You are to lead your wife and children to Christ. You are to see that in the home, the law of God is honored. You are to make sure that your family is loved and cherished. You are to see that they are fed by the word of God. You are to make sure that the finances are handled. You are to make sure that the children are disciplined and educated. You are to make sure the home doesn't fall apart in all ways, spiritual and material. Again, leadership is based on responsibility more than privilege. These are weighty things you have oversight of. But I'll also say that even as the manager of the home, he is not the micromanager of the home either. And this is a helpful distinction. There's another analog with the church here, right? Deacons are under the oversight of the elders, right? And the, the elders give the deacons many things to do that are under, that they can do in their office, but they're still under the oversight of the elders, aren't they? That is... Uh, helpful in marriage because there are many areas where a husband can give responsibility to his wife and must, in fact. You know, often you think, and there's no shame in this, often husbands turn over the education of the children or the finances to the wife. They're often more gifted or maybe have time to handle those things, and he does not. Just as you think of this, as Truman said, he is responsible, he believed, ultimately for the economy, but he has economists under him. And so the husband is responsible to oversee all these things. And if the finances fall apart, is not to tell God, well, it was the woman you gave me. He takes responsibility for it, but he gives her uh, some of those responsibilities. Or if you, the children aren't educated, he can't just go to God, well, she just sort of really flubbed that up, didn't she? No, I am ultimately responsible. I'm ultimately responsible for overseeing that. And so in that, husbands, you are to be leaders and you are to cultivate leadership qualities. Whether you are a manager at work or not, you are the manager of the home. How do you lead? The apostle said it best. Follow me as I follow Christ. You follow Christ in every way. Can you say that to your family? What does that mean to follow Christ? It means you must be a man of self-denial. You must be a student of the scripture. You must have the mind of Christ. You must chart the course of the home in view of the holy scriptures. You are not to be shiftless and aimless and rudderless like Christ was, we heard last week, setting our face as flint to the task before us. You are the captain of the boat. Um, the family ought to know where you are taking them in life. Always God willing, of course. You're not to meander through life's waters, just sort of reacting to and fro to whatever comes. You are to set the course of the home, spiritually and materially, because just as it is in all the Bible, the direction that the leader goes is the direction that the subordinates go. The kings of Israel, the good kings, had the people follow them. In churches, the godly men have the people follow them into godliness. And so what is going to happen, men? 
Whatever direction your life is taking in the home is the direction your wife and your children are going to go ordinarily. That's a weighty responsibility. That's a weighty thing. So are you steering the course of your home in the way of godliness? Is your course set for Zion or, and heaven? Or is it set for Sodom? Or are you asleep at the wheel, men? Are you wasting your days in folly and not having any leadership in the home? And let me just say, this is a, um, it's not even really a well-kept secret, but most women greatly abhor a leadership vacuum in the home. Regardless of what the world says, most women really abhor a man who will not lead. They abhor a man that they will have to wear the pants for because they will not lead the family. To be considered in their eyes what Abigail called her husband, a son of Belial. Here is a godly woman, and yes, you ought never despise your husband, of course, but she couldn't help but say that my, son, my, my, my uh, husband is a worthless man. Don't be a son of Belial. Men and women, you're not to despise your husband if he is a poor leader. Pray for him, encourage him, help him to see his need to develop leadership skills. Maybe encourage him to speak to his elders. Remember, you are a help. You are a help meet for him. Regardless of what his character is, you are to help him out. Just as we prayed for our president this morning, though he is not the man he ought to be, we pray for him and we are to encourage him. It's the same for husbands who fall short of their duty. And the reverse is true. Of course, men, you are to pray for and encourage your wives who fall short of their duty, not to abandon them and not to despise them. You know, in all of this, and maybe this is a bit of a corrective here, husbands, you need to remember that your first priority is your home. Often, and this is challenging for me as well, I confess, to remember that the first place I must tend to is the home. You know, it's very easy, men, to tend to others over your own family. What's the saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. You know, the word family is in there essentially because it's the same root. We can be negligent towards our own and more loving and more encouraging to others. But a husband is called to be a loving man, not just to strangers, but also to his home. A husband is called to be a diligent man, not just at his work, but in his home. A husband is called to be a selfless man, not just to the church, but also in his home. Many wives are grieved because they perceive their husband is more concerned with others than themselves. Sometimes they're wrong about that, but certainly men consider your ways to see if it is so. Well, with that foundation, let's consider our duties of leadership in our final two heads. I spent most of our time here, so these will be a lot quicker. Let's begin with leading in counseling and considering. Husbands are to be serious, they are to be wise, and they are to be grave counselors in their own home. This is another area, men, where you have to put away childishness. You are to become serious. One of the big problems we have right now, and you see it even in social media, is sort of this, even this meme culture, isn't it? Everything is a joke. Nothing is serious. Everything is meant to be filled with laughter and folly. You need to become grave and wise and seek the grace of God to do it. Husbands, you are to resolve to be a Solomon-like figure in your house. 
to anticipate and give godly counsel to your family. It's striking, right? It hasn't been so long, maybe half a century or so. But if you look at the the figures in popular media in the early days of television, and you looked at husbands and fathers, they were sage, wise men with their newspaper open, right? And their wife and child coming to them for counsel. Today, men are what? They're portrayed as fools, indulging in folly. Now, some of this undoubtedly is Hollywood's attempt to demean men in general. But can we say that this is so far out of the norm? Sadly, no. You need to resolve to be the family's counselor men, filled with wisdom, filled with compassion, filled with understanding. And never say men, well, you know, pastor, I'm just not a wise man. And that's true. I'm not a wise man in myself either. But if you are in Christ, if you fear God, you can be wise. Have you never read the promise? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in what? Faith, nothing wavering. James 1, 5 and 6. Brother, simply ask. You do not receive because you do not ask, nor do you ask with faith and fervency, and then seek wisdom out. Christ, the wisdom of God, will be found uh, of you. That's his promise. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 2, 3 3 to 6. Christ, and this doesn't just go to the husbands, but especially tonight for them. Christ has provided all you need to be wise. It's in his word, especially in the Proverbs. When David's son prepared his son to take Israel's throne, what did he exhort? Proverbs 4, 7 through 9. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she shall what? Promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give thine head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Are those things that you long for, men? You ought. You ought to long for these things. Jesus says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. If you want your position in the home to be exalted, exalt wisdom and you will be promoted. You will be brought to honor. She will give you an ornament of grace and a crown of glory. What is the purpose of the Proverbs? To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give subtlety to who? The simple. To the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Proverbs 1, 3 to 5. Every kind of man there is can benefit from the Proverbs. Even the wise man increases understanding. And for you who are simple, maybe you got married and you felt like, I have no wisdom. Well, he says to you, young men, you will gain knowledge and discretion. You will learn wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity knowing that wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1.7. And so men, this is your calling. You are called to counsel your wives and your wife and your children. 
You are the primary counselor and source of wisdom inside the house. That means you are to also, right, not be reactive. You are in wisdom to think ahead. That's what wisdom does. It sees the danger coming, doesn't it? That's what the proverb says and anticipates it. You need to anticipate their needs for counsel and provision. What wisdom even does my wife need? That's the, uh, that's the idea of a husband as a shepherd. Let me search out the scriptures and be a help to her. What wisdom do my children need as they are growing? And when there are hard times, how do I deal with giving them counsel? When they fall into sin, how am I going to counsel my wife and my children? You need to be constant in the scriptures so that you can counsel them. Are you prepared to counsel your own wife and child or children? If you're not, seek wisdom more diligently and godly counselors. And women, this is for you. You ought to go to your husband for counsel and not despise his counsel. It's not right. It's not right for you to go to your friends for matters of counsel before you go to your husband. Young ladies, this is a snare early in marriage. You might be tempted to go to your parents for counsel first, right? And this is something I, I, I hope to impress upon my daughters. Yeah, your dad might be uh, your dad that you might, uh, and I hope they do, seek for wisdom. And he may even be your pastor. But when you're in the home, you first go to your husband. Remember what you heard in 1 Corinthians 14.35, let them ask their husbands at home. Now he might say to you, ladies, that is a tough question, let's go ask our elders. Or you might ask, you mind if I talk to the elders about this? And he may give your blessing in that, and probably a godly man would say, of course, go talk to your pastor. But he is the first port of call when you have a question. And here is a thing as well, and I want to turn it the other way around. A man will do well when his wife is his trusted counselor as well, his trusted lieutenant. When he listens to her as his partner, she is a help, isn't she? Meet for you. The Lord, in his marvelous wisdom, you know, I remember, and I think on this now as a believer, but I remember one of my friends, he asked, uh, you know, you and, uh, and when I was dating Megan, um, again, before we were believers, he said, you guys are so different. And uh, you know, in his mind, it's like if you didn't have the same hobbies, if you didn't have the same interests, if you didn't have the same foibles, perhaps, then you ought not get married. But really, I see more and more the, the wisdom of God, that often he pairs together men and women who are very different in many different ways because they, the wife is a wonderful counselor who, who brings in um, thoughts that the man doesn't have. And I've benefited from that with my own wife and that she isn't, she doesn't think like me exactly. And that's why the scripture says two are better than one. When one falls, the other will help pick him up. And so, as I said, the man is akin to a king in the home, but the woman is the queen, isn't she? Together they rule the home, though the man has the higher rank. And so, husbands, you need to treat your wife in this way as your most trusted lieutenant. You know, you might have seen popular media and like this, and maybe there's a man of position, maybe he has a man of rank, he's a captain or something of a boat, and he brings in his trusted men, and he asks them, and he speaks to them, doesn't he, for counsel. This is what's going on. What should we do here? How should we go? Then he takes some, uh, he takes it all in, and then he says, okay, and now this is the direction we will go after taking in all that counsel. And so husbands, you need to treat your wife that way. A wise man will take counsel from his wife. 
In my own home, I often come up with an idea I think on. I float it with my wife for counsel. Sometimes she jumps right on it and says, you know what? That's a great idea. Other times she says, I don't know if that's such a great way to go. So I evaluate her counsel with prayer and seeking wisdom. And really, unless the matter is very weighty, and this is a matter of wisdom for you too, unless we are agreed, all right, it's probably best not to move forward. Generally, even on our session, as a session, we, unless it's a really weighty matter where we have to make a decision, we, unless we're all agreed, we tend to drop a matter if we're not all agreed. And that's kind of a helpful way to run the house too. But in those matters of great weight, especially to honor God, uh, where we are not in agreement, which are rare in my home, uh, I do what I believe is best and she follows my leading. All right. Well, with that then, and I'm going long tonight, our final heading in applied leadership is commending and correcting. Uh, one duty that superiors often neglect, I'll start with commending, um, is that they often neglect to commend those under their care. First Peter 2.14. You think on this. Or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. This is a general duty of the fifth commandment for superiors. And we'll get to that with children as we raise children later on in the series. We must all look for ways to commend and praise those we are responsible for. And it is a specific duty of the husband in the word of God to praise his wife. What do you read in Proverbs 31, 28? Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Do you remember what preceded that verse in Proverbs 31? There was an accounting of all the good that she does in the home and even outside of the home. And it's sort of, you get the sense that the husband and children recognize what the wife has done and the mother has done and they bless her and they bless God for her and they praise her for her works. You know, even a simple men thank you for the meals she cooks. And gratitude for all she does, expressed outwardly, goes a long way. And I know many of you are grateful for your wife, but sometimes, as the proverb says, her husband needs to praise her, just as we commend our children when they do well. And especially men, spur her on and encourage her when she does those duties. It's rather interesting. We read Titus 2 just completely out of God's providence. That's just a sequential reading. When she is doing the things of Titus 2, right, and you are to commend her. You are to praise her and bless her for it. Uh, Think of it this way. Maybe men and women too, think of it this way. When you were growing up, right, and sometimes you hear this. And I understand a little bit of the grief here. You think on parents who never once encouraged you. Who who never once, all they did is they picked on you. All they did is said, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. You're always doing this wrong. But they never once ever recognized the thing that you did well. How discouraging that is, isn't it? Now, husbands, think about that with your wife. If you experience that or you know something of that growing up, you are to encourage your wife and encourage your children. Remind her uh, that you acknowledge her gifts and graces. Take note. Tell her. You note the sacrifices she makes. Make sure she is being treated respectfully by your children. Make sure they appreciate her and her labors. Do not discourage your wife in her duties by always saying, well, you know, it could have used a little bit of this, or maybe you didn't do this right, or or that. And I had to learn that very early in my marriage. I should not be discouraging my wife. 
And God knows I'm not perfect at that, even today. But I still have in my mind now, at least, the God-given grace to understand I should not discourage her. And of course, this begins where? By thanking the Lord for her. And thanking the Lord for her gifts as well. Because if your heart is filled with gratitude for her and her works, you know, you must thank God first. But as, you know, the saying goes, right? You can never hate somebody you pray for. And it's even more true that you can never hate, but you would sincerely love those you bless God for. After you thank God for her, you will more greatly appreciate her and thank her. Reward your wife as well and be generous toward her. Consider Elkanah, 1 Samuel 1.5. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, literally in the Hebrew, double portion. Why? For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Or Proverbs 31.31. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. You know, as men, as we talked about last week, as the breadwinner, you are likely in large part setting the financial direction of the home. Make sure the budget has room for generosity for your wife. Dote on her. You don't need to spend a bunch of money, of course, on her, uh, especially if things are tight. Just be thinking of her and be kind as your estate allows. Even sacrificing men what you could have for yourself for her sake. Now, on the other hand, Wives must be corrected when they are in error, and neither can husbands shrink away from this duty. Um, Nor must you women despise your husband when you are corrected by them according to the word of God. You know, that's very unpopular to say these days, but this is the responsibility men have, which is to correct you when you are in fault and you are in error. Think of how Jesus, our husband, is towards us. What did he say? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And remember the godly men of the Bible. They rebuked their wives when necessary. Genesis 30, 1 through 2. Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? Right? There has to be a godly rebuke there. And what of Job? Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. What, is he just supposed to let that blasphemy slide? No, he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speakest. speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did Job not sin with his lips. Wives, do you see how these women took it in the scripture? Silence. The rebuke of their husband was received without contention. And husbands, in both those cases, what did the men use? They used God and his character out of the scripture. They're not just rebuking them outside of the scripture. And a godly rebuke then to your wife must be based on scripture principles. Jacob asked, am I in God's stead? Job asked, shall we receive good from God's hand and not adversity? There's something here as well that's a matter of wisdom. I just want to put before you men. Sometimes asking a righteous question is the best rebuke of all. You notice those two godly men, they ask a question. 
You need to sometimes, and this is not just to your wives, but all of us need to do this to all under our care, uh, have them consider their ways in view of the Scripture truth. Right? Sometimes our correction of those under us, and I've been convicted of this with my own children, is merely barking. Stop, do this, don't do that. But never having them grow in godly maturity to reflect and consider, what does the Bible say? Consider your ways. Right? Ask, have them reflect themselves. And again, part of this is that your wife is not a slave. She is to be treated with intelligence and dignity, even in a rebuke, isn't it? Right? You're rebuking her with asking her to reflect on her ways. And also make sure that you correct her when it really requires it. Right? When you cannot cover a fault in love, you know, Job and Jacob, they had to rebuke their wives. And I'll just say constant scolding, whether it's to the wife or children, is not only demeaning, it just becomes noise. And it diminishes your authority over time. Perhaps you notice that with our perfect Savior. He is very measured and judicious with his reproof. Or you think about this. How many stupid things were his disciples, like us, saying to him over the three years he was with them? Yet what you recognize in the scripture, his, his rebukes become just more convicting because of how infrequent they are. And it is always on weighty things, right? That's why you remember his scolding, how convicting it was when he did it. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? There's again a question, isn't that interesting, right? Having them reflect on their ways. But then do you understand and see when he uh, reproves the enemies of God, his tongue is sharp then but not so much against his people. Woe unto you, Pharisees. But to his people, his reproof is relatively mild, and it comes with conviction. Jacob asks his wife, am I in the place of God? And then Job says, after that, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. Notice that he doesn't say, you foolish woman. Isn't that interesting? He says, you speak as a foolish woman. He's even maintaining her dignity in that, right, to try to convict her. Not that you are a fool, my wife, but you're speaking like the fools speak. I just think it's so interesting when you look at the men in the Bible who interact with their wives, how they treat them, I think, is greatly instructive men. So look through the scriptures. And so ordinarily, our correction ought to be patient, gentle, and always without sinful anger. Proverbs 25, 15, here's wisdom. By long forbearing is a prince persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. I just know I'm guilty of breaking that proverb constantly, especially with my children. And the other part of this, men, is your reproof could never, should never be hypocritical. Remove the beam from your own eye first. What do you do if the rebuke is not heeded? This is where you must be under the authority of the church, isn't it? Matthew 18 applies to marriage as well as outside marriage. Take the steps prescribed. Take another to meet with your wife and speak with her. Another reason to have in your life trusted godly couples who can help in such matters. And when that fails, if it fails, rather, go to the church and seek your elders together. That said, all of us, not just the wives, must see godly correction as Christ's balm. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be what? What is it? It's a kindness. 
and let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head. Wives, especially if your husband is a man who's not constantly picking every perceived fault, take his reproof in that manner. Here's a man who wants to show kindness to me in correcting me and reproving me. As Jesus said, as many as he loves, he rebukes. So husbands, follow such principles and we're out of time. Lovingly lead your home under Christ's leadership and the Lord will bless and maintain your God-given authority. Go own any faults of your own in this area. Men, go to the Lord with them. Never excuse them. Ask your wife for forgiveness if you are convicted of your behavior toward her. And women, if you do not respect your husband and his authority and leadership, you need to ask him in the same way for forgiveness. Ask the Lord for forgiveness first and ask your husband for forgiveness. Neither husband nor wife in this life will be perfect, no. But we must never give up on our spouses but constantly pray for them and encourage them in the way they ought to go. There is only forgiveness in the Lord. Forgive one another, right, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you have seen, men, today that headship is responsibility and not primarily privilege. What's the old canard when people talk about headship? It's about the husband has the right to go tell his wife to make a sandwich, right? And yes, the husband does have the ability to ask his wife to make a sandwich, and she should be cheerfully. Why isn't she like to make her husband a sandwich is the question, right? But that's not primarily what defines headship. It's responsibility for the home. Well, we're going to leave husbands here for a while. We'll pick up wives' duties next week. And then after that, we'll consider husbands and wives, conflict resolution, and those kinds of things together. But until then, may the Lord keep us and bless the marriages of the church. Amen. Please rise for prayer, if able. Our gracious God, we see wondrous things in your word. And our folly, Father, is not seeking after wisdom and not being diligent in seeking the will of God. Forgive us, O God, for this. And would you bless all the husbands here? who have such a weighty responsibility before the Lord to lead their family well to Christ. Oh God, in our society, we are not being raised in these ways. And so we have to undo so much, uh, so much that we have learned in the world that is wrong. But would you bless us, Father, as we seek after Christ and his ways? Would you bless husbands as compassionate, loving leaders of the home? And would you bless wives as they seek to submit to their husbands, even as the church submits to Christ? Oh, Lord, help us to all see that we all are greatly in need of the grace of God. Would you bless marriages by making them beautiful when they follow your path that is subscribed in the word of God? That there would be a blessing on the home as we seek the glory of God. And for any here who do not know Christ, May this be the day of salvation to them. Even in a text that is so applicatory, Father, towards husbands and wives, we trust we have heard something of the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ giving his life for his bride that she would be saved to the uttermost. May this be the day of salvation to those who have never heard that. May you bless your people now and until they come to meet again with you in public worship. In Jesus' name, amen.